up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Top 5 at 5 with your host, Johnny Quest. Today is Monday, April 27th. Here's what you missed while you were re-watching Stanley Tucci make a Negroni over and over and over, Cochina. What would this show be if I didn't get to take a jab at the president every now and then? Although it seems to be coming more often lately, since you know he's a dummy more times than he isn't. So what is it this time? Well, using his favorite platform for bloviating, he launched into another Twitter diatribe this time, calling out Fox News, of all people, and demanding an alternative now, since I guess they're not sniffing his booty as much as he's used to. He also called out reporters that wrote about Russian interference, he seriously just can't let that subject go, and said that they should return their Nobel Prizes. No, you didn't mishear me, I didn't misspeak. He wrote Nobel Prizes. By the way, there are no Nobel Prizes for reported stories, nor are there Nobel Prizes. There are Pulitzer Prizes for journalism. There is a Nobel Prize for literature. That's it. But here's where it gets great. See, he deleted the tweet and then said, get this, it was sarcasm. No lie. I seriously don't think that he knows what sarcasm is since he also tried to use that excuse about that whole injecting disinfectant comment from last Thursday. So, he started out going against the New York Times, who wrote an article about him being a lazy person and a lazy president that didn't show up to the office until noon. He said, get this, he's the hardest working president in history who hasn't left the White House in many months. This fool forgot he held a campaign rally just last month and several in February. The idiot also misspelled hamburger in a later tweet. Doesn't even know how to use autocorrect on his phone. Sheesh. Then, like I said, he tried to claim it was all sarcasm to say noble instead of nobel quote does sarcasm ever work end quote i really don't think he knows what that means then he came after fox news's chris wallace again saying that chris wallace is nastier to republicans than deface the nation or sleepy eyes referring to the face the nation show on cbs and meet the press on nbc just another day in the world of trumpito i guess will i miss these days if he loses nah i don't think so What the Sanders supporters want is essentially a beauty contest that, given the situation with the public health emergency that exists now, seems to be unnecessary and indeed frivolous, end quote. That's a quote from New York State Democratic Party Board co-chairman Douglas Kellner while describing what he called a very difficult decision. Which decision was this? Well, a lot of states have postponed their Democratic presidential primaries due to the vid, but New York has become the first state to all-out cancel the presidential portion of the primary. State and local office primaries are still going to run on June 23rd, but the presidential one, the one that has only one person left in the race? Well, the board felt it was unnecessary to hold that election and cause more people to come out to something that's mostly been decided. And that kind of makes sense. There was also a new state law that snuck its way into the most recent budget that allows for removing candidates from the ballot when they've already suspended or terminated their campaign, like the Sanders campaign has done. But they didn't want to be removed. They wanted the symbolic vote in hopes that it would further pressure the Biden campaign to work with progressives even more and force Democrats to listen to the Sanders constituency. But honestly, if the Biden campaign doesn't already know that they need progressives to win and have to do a bit more appeasement to that crowd to get there, then they don't really have a shot in November anyways. Bernie bros are going to hold out if they don't get what they want, so it's time to work together, people. Last week, a story broke about iPhone security, 
And I didn't discuss it because there were still some more facts that I was waiting on. And it looks like all the cards are on the table now, so let's just jump into it. So a security research team that goes by the name of ZecOps discovered a string of vulnerabilities in the iPhone default mail app that could possibly overload memory, giving the ability to run remote code on the device. It would do this by sending you an email that you wouldn't know was there because it would then delete itself and there's no way for you as the user to know that this happened. So then later last week, Apple dropped a follow-up saying that it found no evidence that this has been used in the real world. And now two other security researchers have jumped into the forum and it seems everyone agrees with Apple on at least one point. These vulnerabilities can't be exploited on their own. Apple's statement last week said, quote, the researcher identified three issues in mail, but alone they are insufficient to bypass iPhone and iPad security protections, end quote. And security experts point out that while Apple and ZecOps are correct about the limited utility of the mail bugs alone, it's still important to take these types of bugs seriously. A zero click like this is especially interesting because it's not a full exploit chain, yet due to the nature of how it works, it could enable something like a smash and grab for mailbox data. Even the prospect of copying emails, then self-deleting the crafted attack email is quite scary, end quote. So is this something you, regular regular iPhone user, should be concerned about? Mm, probably not. Most likely, an attack this sophisticated, and honestly quite expensive, is going to be against high-profile targets. Think heads of state, CEOs, and others at that level. iPhone vulnerabilities, when found, usually sell for millions of dollars since they're so rare and take so long to find. Then, of course, once made public like this one, they get patched up pretty quickly by Apple. Speaking of which, 13.4.5, which is currently a beta, has already fixed this issue, and a release is expected soon. You guys ever heard of Magic Leap? Well, I'm obviously a tech nerd, if you hadn't already guessed or known. Engineer is my day job. So stuff like what Magic Leap's been promising has caught my attention for many years. You might be familiar. They had a couple of videos going around social media back in 2016 and 2017 showing their tech in action, which what is it that they make? Well, they promote an AR headset and experience. Basically, they hyped up a device that could create holograms identical to real life. The videos that they had on YouTube showed a person in an office playing a video game in their office office space. And so now they currently sell a device called the Magic Leap One. It hasn't sold well. But for years, they were getting investments from some really large VC firms and investors like Andreessen Horowitz, Kleiner Perkins, even Google itself. Not Google Ventures, but Google. Hell, even the Google CEO Sundar Pichai was on the Magic Leap board. But see, they were all shown this tech secretly and were wowed. And so it seems like that was all bait and switch worth over $2.6 billion. Yeah, because see, they had a stationary device that they nicknamed the Beast, several hundred pounds. And that's where they showed all their demos. And it looked amazing, apparently. Then later on, they were able to finally build the headset. They called it the cheese head before finally building a more lighter headset that's now called the One. But after every iteration, all the magic from Magic Leap technology drifted away. They just weren't capable of miniaturizing the tech, and now it looks like they've laid off half their staff and are pivoting towards enterprise use cases. I mean, the tech looks decent. It's AR glasses. You look silly as heck wearing them. I mean, think Doc Ock goggles from Spider-Man. But you do see an image floating in front of you that's not there in real life. Only problem is 
they're using the same tech that Microsoft's HoloLens has been using now for years. So it's not exactly special. Seven years, $2.6 billion, one product, and more than likely a potential shutdown soon. As TechCrunch puts it, ultimately, Magic Leap's story isn't one that should feed outrage or anger as much as sheer sadness that hardware is so hard and that human senses, especially sight, make for such a challenging development platform. All right, we're mostly all working from home now, so I thought I'd pass along these great tips I got from the Harvard Business Review on ensuring that we all stay sane during these WFH hours. It's being reported that people are working three hours more per day than they used to when reporting to the office. Completely unnecessary, huh? So check it out. First thing, quote, maintain physical and social boundaries. Putting on your work clothes, commuting from home to work, these are physical and social indicators that something has changed. You've transitioned from home you to work you. Try to maintain these boundaries when working remotely. Put on your work clothes every morning. Casual Friday is fine, of course, but get yourself ready nonetheless. And consider replacing your morning commute with maybe a walk to a nearby park or even just around your apartment or home before sitting down to work. Okay, that's doable. What's next? Quote, maintain temporal boundaries as much as possible. Sticking to a 9 to 5 schedule may prove unrealistic. Employees need to find work time budgets that function best for them. They also need to be conscious and respectful that others might work at different times than they do. For some, it might be a child's nap. For others, it might be when their partner is cooking dinner. Create intentional work time budgets by adding an out-of-office reply during certain hours of the day to focus on work. A less extreme reply might be to just let others know that you might be slower than usual in responding. And lastly, focus on your most important work. This is not the time for busy work. Workers should be devoting their energy to top priority issues. While working from home, employees often feel compelled to project the appearance of productivity, but this can lead them to work on tasks that are more immediate instead of more important, a tendency that research suggests is counterproductive in the long run, even if it benefits productivity in the short run. Working all the time, even on your most important tasks, isn't the answer. According to some estimates, the average knowledge worker is only productive on average three hours a day, and these hours should be free of interruptions or multitasking, even before COVID-19. Employees who feel on all the time or at a higher risk of burnout when working from home than if they were going to the office as usual. In the long term, trying to squeeze in work and email responses whenever we have a few minutes to do so during nap time on the weekend or by pausing a movie in the evening is not only counterproductive, but also detrimental to our well-being. We all need to find new ways and help others do the same to carve out non-work time and mental space. Well, I hope this helps you guys. Keep calm and carry on. We'll make it together, you guys. Well, my beautiful people, those are my top five news stories of the day. Oh, man, not a lot to talk about here. Had quite a busy weekend, but nothing special. Oh, I got my Magic Keyboard for my iPad Pro. I friggin' love this thing. Really changing how much I use this iPad more and more daily. I think I've mentioned this before, but I do this whole show on iPad. The writing, the recording, the editing, the posting. It's a pretty sweet way to compute. Anyways, it's Monday, and we're just getting started. So, as always, remember to stay focused, proud, and dedicated. I got you with the news.